This morning, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. A solemn message, but a very important one for this time. Gracious Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can open your word in times where darkness is around us. It is still true. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. Father, we pray that you turn on the light. Today, through the juice of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you will cause us to be receptive, that your people will hear what the Spirit says to the church. Guide now, and may all the glory and the honor for this message go only to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A book that you don't often turn to, Lamentations, let's go there together this morning. Lamentations chapter 4, verse 12. I mentioned to you that um, this message has been a long time coming. My wife and I just finished the book of Lamentations. It took us a long time to get through Jeremiah because Jeremiah was dealing with a church that was in rebellion. It was a hard book to read. It was a sobering book to read. It was a book that reminded me as a leader and reminded us as the people of God of how solemn and how sober we need to be in times like these. And then out of Jeremiah, then the book of lament, and probably the only thing that is of uplifting news in the book of Lamentations is God's mercies are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. But I was reading this scripture yesterday as we were sitting at our dinner table, uh, having our morning worship together, and this scripture grabbed me by the ears and refused to let me go. Even though the message was pretty much solid, solidified in my mind, this scripture brought me to the realization that what Jeremiah saw happening to Jerusalem in his day is happening to spiritual Jerusalem in our day. And he, and he makes a statement that Ricky just leaned me back. And I said to my wife, wow, wow. That is sobering. So this morning as I read the scripture reading, I want you to understand it is in fact the foundation of the importance of this message. Because Jeremiah, on the heels of seeing all that God had done for Jerusalem, all that God had done for Israel, he sees them in a position of ingratitude, rebellion, worldliness. And then he broadens the picture when he says in Lamentations 4, verse 12, the impact that even the nations around Jerusalem was sobered by when they saw the condition of God's people. He said, the kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world, this is what grabbed me, would not have believed 
that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. In other words, he said, these gates were always so secure, somebody was always watching the gates. But somehow, the enemy and the adversary found a way into Jerusalem. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. In this day and age, this, is not only, this, this was not only true then, but it is true today. When you begin to see what is taking place in spiritual Jerusalem, God's church, somebody opened the door to the adversary and the enemy. And I don't believe that God allowed this to be recorded for us to just say, wow, Jerusalem lost their way. But God recorded this for us to say, Lord Jesus, may it not be said that I lost my way. So this morning, we're going to begin by laying the foundation on the message, the most expensive temple ever built. And I'm going to begin by walking you through some of the temples that some of us may have been aware of. And we may, on a minute scale, know something about these grandeurs that have littered the landscape of the world. This is a picture of the world-famous Mormon temple. And many of you have heard of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This build began, this is in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was conceptualized in the year 1893. And to this very day, it stands as an unmoved bulwark of the magnificence and majesty of that cathedral at the cost of $35 million. But then again, think of when it was built, 1893. Obviously, it was updated since then. If you want to get a picture of the inside, this is just a glimpse of a portion, not even a wide-angle lens. What a massive monstrosity. And you know, you've heard about the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They're very well known for that song, the Hallelujah Chorus, which many churches sing, trying to do it the way the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sings it whenever the Christmas season comes. Here's another picture from the side angle, just to give you an understanding of the grandeur and the magnificence of that temple that stands there on the plains of Salt Lake City, Utah. That temple took 40 years to build. It is nine feet thick at the base. The walls are of granite. And the higher up it goes, the thicker it gets. At the height of that, at 16, it's 16 feet thick at the top of that temple. That's a lot of granite. What was the intention? They were trying to build a kingdom that will never be destroyed. But now let's go to a church that you may have heard about. You've heard of the very world-famous Joel Olstein. His ministry that started the Lakewood Church a number of years ago through his father. His father passed away, but then they were able to acquire this former stadium of the Houston Rockets. And as you know, this began in 1999. They acquired it, but by 2001, they finished it. They refurbished it at the cost of $75 million. I'd sure love to preach here. Come on, help me out. <laughs> Somebody sent him an email. Say, Pastor John would like to preach at the Lakewood Church. 
See, they get, they get icing. They get candy. I want to bring some meat. One day, God will give us the opportunity. Maybe not there, but maybe in a larger venue. But can you imagine to, to get the privilege of every Sunday morning preaching to upwards of 45,000 people every Sunday morning? 45,000 people. They refurbished that thing, and it still stands today as a bulwark of the impregnability of the Lakewood Church. But let's continue. Maybe Moses and Ajima knows about this. This is the Brazilian church. It's also located in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And it was built as a replica to the Solomon Temple. And you didn't see that. That's not a mistaken number. It cost $300 million to build. It was inaugurated in 2014 of July. It only seats 10,000 people, but it is, a, it is on a grand scale. When that thing was built, the walls, now you can see how short the people are, the walls inside are 180 feet high. And they have 10,000 LED lights in the ceiling, one for every person that can be seated there. You know, it was amazing as I was reading about this church, the pastor, who was a billionaire himself, he asked a very pertinent question that will come out in the message today. He said, if God invited you to his house to meet him personally, how would you dress? And if you notice, they bring their best when they come to the Sao Paulo Brazilian Solomon Temple. But let me continue to dazzle your mind. And I'm going to try to say this the way that it is pronounced in the Indian language. Sri Padmanabhaswami Temple. Try to say that three times. The Sri Padmanabhaswami Temple. The temple was first made of wood, but later constructed of granite, as it is seen today. But it is painted in gold. It has 365 pillars, one for each day of the year. And on the inside, it has an idol. The main idol is made of 12,500 stones that were taken from the Gandiki River in Nepal. But let me blow you away, because the number is not incorrect. It is worth $20 billion. It's not bigger than Joel Osteen's building. It's not bigger than the Mormon tabernacle. Why and how could it be worth $20 billion? Well... This whole church dates back to the 8th century, but they started building it in the 16th century. But during a dramatic court battle, somebody, they, took, they went to the court to try to find out who was the rightful owner of this building. And in 2011, the court appointed a team to begin to investigate the building. And on the inside of the building, they discovered $22 million worth of gold. 1,300 tons of gold hidden in five secret cellars in the basement of this massive structure. And so they say the building didn't cost $20 billion to build, but they say it is worth $20 billion. And then we go to something that you may have seen only in pictures before, the Grand Mosque, the Great Mosque in Mecca. This building was built in the year 634 A.D. And the Islamic religion believes that Abraham and his son Isaac 
were part of the building of this massive temple. And they say the estimated worth of this building is $100 billion. $100 billion. Every day at noon, thousands and thousands of Muslim men gather together to worship at significant times of the day, aiming their hearts toward the east, worshiping, as they say, Allah. And finally, you've all known that I would include the St. Peter's Basilica there in Vatican City. Now, you might say that this is a pretty meager amount when it comes to the others. It is estimated that it costs in the books about $908 million. But bankers estimate that this basilica is worth about 10 to $15 billion. But in Rome, the people of that society says, this place of worship is priceless because of its impact on the entire world. None of those temples that I've shown you have the impact as Vatican City has on the entire world. Its worth is not based on the cost of its structure because this structure is centuries old. It was once the center of pagan worship. And all the idols that you see in the center of that key are not idols of the apostles and prophets, but simply all the pagan gods that were served that have simply been renamed for the purposes of the Vatican City. But I want to say this to morning. Strangely enough, every one of these cities has something in common. Their beginning and end is this earth. Because we are a part of a kingdom that was not built by the hands of man, but built by the love of God. What do you say? And that kingdom, as Daniel says, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. That's the kingdom that we all want to be a part of. What do you say? But let me take a little turn now. Because this morning, as I mentioned, this is part one of two parts. The amazement that Jeremiah expresses in the book of Lamentation is expressed on many, many levels. One of the reasons why the tribe of Judah was taken into Babylon for captivity for 70 years is because they began to worship like the Babylonians. They began to live like the Babylonians. They began to eat like the Babylonians. They began to dress like the Babylonians. They began to practice those things that were only to be practiced within the walls of Babylon. And the Lord said, if that's the way you're going to live, you're not going to live in Jerusalem like a Babylonian. Live in Babylon like a Babylonian. And God carted them off to Babylon. But God has always been interested in the redemption of his people. God doesn't see us in sin and leave us there and there are metaphorical pictures drawn throughout the scriptures that sometimes people, even some Seventh-day Adventists, have misunderstood the full picture drawn by the Bible. Let me make a statement. Text without context is pretext. Say that with me. Text without context is pretext. 
In other words, until we understand how the story is understood by the generation to whom it was spoken, we can never understand how it applies to us today. I'll give you an example. When the Bible says in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that a man should not wear the garments of a woman and a woman should not wear the garments of a man, we try to port that into today's society in America. They still don't dress in the Middle East like we do here in America. Their garments are quite different. But until we understand what that meant in their day, we will not understand what it means in our day. In the simplicity of it, in the days of the Middle East and in the olden times, when men wore robes, which they still do today, we were in Dubai and we were in, uh, uh, in parts of the Middle East and uh, Jordan. And whenever you see the traditional dress, when men have on robes, which they wear to keep them cool from the intense heat, they don't wear a, 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 a sash around their waist. But when women wear it, they wear a sash around their waist. So if you see somebody walking away with a sash or without a sash, you can tell who is a man and who is not a man. But misunderstanding the context, many people take these metaphorical stories in the Bible through the imagery that God uses to rescue his people from sin and they misapply them and they create a discombobulated picture and they come away with the idea that somehow God favors the wearing of men's clothing and God favors the wearing of women's clothing. In other words, cross-sexually. They also come away with the idea that God supports the wearing of jewelry and ornaments. Let's look at one of those stories in the Bible. One of the most beautiful stories. Let me lay the, lay the foundation. It was unfortunate because from generation to generation, there was always a longing for Jesus to come, for the Messiah to finally arrive. And whenever some of the Hebrew women had girl children, this is a fact, some of them were so disappointed that they did not have a boy that they discarded some of these newborn babes on the side of the road with the umbilical cord still attached. And it was only as somebody noticed that child that the life was spared. They favored the male child, but many of them did not favor the female child. That's why when you read in the Bible that Jesus fed the 5,000, that's only counting the men. That's not counting the wives and the children. So it could have been about 15,000 or even more than that. And you find many of the Old Testament stories, the man is often highlighted. That's why it seems unusual when Rahab, Rahab is talked about and Sarah is talked about and Naomi is talked about and Esther is talked about. It's a step outside in, a, in an avenue that was not often talked about among that male-dominated society. So in this picture, God uses the imagery to show his love for Israel when they stepped outside of their sin and they were likened to a baby born in sin and abandoned in sin. And notice this story, how beautiful it is in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 2 to 6. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Ezekiel says, and by the way, we're going to start Ezekiel next, my wife and I in our Bible readings. Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. So at the very beginning, who is this about? Somebody tell me, who's it about? It's about Jerusalem. Cause Jerusalem to know her abominations and say, thus 
says the Lord God of Jerusalem. Now look at the imagery. Your birth and your nativity, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. In other words, they just left you in the very same amniotic condition, amniotic fluid that you had and just pitched you to the side of the road. Then he says, no, I pitied you to do any of those things, any of these things for you. You have compassion to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field. As you read this, that's what sin does to us. It throws us out into the open field. Keep going. When you yourself were loathed on the day you were born, and look at this, and when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood, live. Can somebody say amen? This is such a beautiful story. It's just a half of the story. Jesus sees Israel struggling in their sin, discarded like a baby thrown into the field, and he sees them abandoned and alone. But the Lord does not abandon those of us who are found in sin. He comes after us. Look at verses 8 to verses 14. The story continues of Ezekiel chapter 16. When I passed by you and looked upon you, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, praise you, Lord. I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. That's what he does for us. Praise the Lord, somebody. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists, and a chain on your neck. Verse 12, and I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my what? Splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord. You read this story and say, God believes in jewelry. My brothers and sisters, are you ready for it? The same thing that was said of Lucifer before he fell. Every precious stone was your covering. Lucifer was clothed in the splendor of God. And the imagery of that clothing he likened to the bride of the Near East. That's why Ezekiel records it. 
They speak in the language of the Near East. So here's the point. God wasn't saying, go buy earrings and nose rings and jewels and necklaces and put them on. He says, I put it on you. Are you ready for it? If God send you jewelry, you can wear it. But I want you to notice, when God redeemed Israel, he used imagery that he clothed them in his jewels. But when Israel was in rebellion and clothed themselves in their jewelry, notice what the Bible says. Hosea 2 and verse 13. He says, I will punish her for the days of Baals, to which she burned incense. Look at what he says. She decked herself. She did what? She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, says the Lord. You notice the contrast. When God redeems us, he covers us with his splendor and his righteousness. Did you get that? But when we seek to redeem ourselves and seek to glorify ourselves, he likens us to decking ourselves, wearing the things that we purchase, her earrings, her jewels. She followed the practices of the Baals. She followed the practices of the nations that surrounded her and began to look like them. And God said, when that happened, she went after her lovers and she forgot me. And the imagery used here is one of redemption on God's part, covering us with his splendor, which is his righteousness. Can the church say amen? But when it comes to rebellion, we cover ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We adorn ourselves. And we can never, through, through artificial adornment, match the undimmed righteousness of Jesus. But so many people misunderstand the imagery. And a number of months ago, Sabbath afternoon, I was just so frustrated. Somebody sent my wife and I a link and I'm telling you to buckle your seatbelts. Let's go like this together. Because as a pastor, if I were just talking about things that are happening among membership, you might say, well, you know, pray for the saints. But in the very same way that the rebellion in Israel was not only among the people, but among also the leaders, it's being... It's being fostered today, not only among membership, but among leadership. And I believe, as Ellen White says, the church could never rise higher than its leadership. As one writer said, I think uh, his name is Dozier, he says, if there's a fog in the, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. And many people are in the dark because the ministers themselves refuse to proclaim the light. And they misunderstood the imagery of the Bible and they apply it to things of today. And I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of pastors that are sin in their churches today. A lot of churches are going in the way of the world. I wish I could say we were, we were exempt. But let me tell you something, brethren. It's going to get bad before it gets good. And we are going to see the church look like it's about to fall. But I'm going to tell you today, God's church is not going to fall. 
sinners will be sifted out. Those that don't want to get ready for the coming of the Lord, those that do not want to get their lives ready for the coming of Jesus, will, they will not be ready. But those that are more interested in getting ready for eternity and the glory that God has for us will be ready when Jesus comes. You see, the imagery that God uses there in Ezekiel is synonymous to the bride of the Near East. He uses the same imagery so that Israel could understand her worth in God's sight. And that's the same language we find in the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2. John describing the new Jerusalem, notice how he describes it, in the language that the people of Israel would understand. He said, Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, what? Adorned for her husband. So who is adorned? Who did the Bible just say was adorned? Could somebody say New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem is adorned. Not the saints being adorned. The New Jerusalem is adorned. Let's expand this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9 to 11. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come. I will, show you the, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And what did he do? And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And what did it say? Describing this, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. When John goes on further, and I didn't put that on the screen, you can read it yourself in Revelation 21, when, God, when, when John goes further on to describe the beauty of the new Jerusalem, he says, it has streets of what? Gold. Gates of what? Pearls. Twelve foundations of twelve precious stones. He describes the city the new Jerusalem as adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Never does he describe the people of God in that city as clothed with gold and precious stones and pearls. As a matter of fact, he tells us how they are described. Revelation 19 and verse 8. Speaking about the saints, how are they clothed? Revelation 19 verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in what? Fine linen, what else? Bright and clean. Fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now watch this. Got to take a breath. I submit to you today, and you'll see me, this is my thesis. And in the context of last week, my thesis has a predetermined agenda. I know where I'm going. I submit to you today that when the Apostle Paul looked for the coming of the Lord, he says, 
that he was looking for a crown of righteousness that does not fade away. He wasn't looking for jewelry, earrings, nose rings, necklaces. Now, why is that so vitally important? Are you ready for it? If saints come into the city clad in the garments of earth, the new Jerusalem is in danger. I know you know where I'm going. Look at those pearly gates. Jasmine would say to Ricky, would you get me some pearls from those gates? Because I need to wear them. I'm just using this. I know that Jasmine wouldn't say that. And somebody can be walking down the streets of gold say, I need me some golden earrings. And you're going to have saints chipping away at the streets of the New Jerusalem. They're going to be repelling over the walls, trying to get down to the 12 foundations of, of, of rubies and emeralds and diamonds and topaz. The New Jerusalem will be in trouble. That's why God never speaks of the saints as clothed that way. The saints are clothed in the righteousness of the character of Jesus. That's why not too many months ago, Ron talked about that, when the, when the Lord came in to examine the guests, he said, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? The saints are not the one clothed in precious stones. It is the new Jerusalem. Do you understand that? And it is understanding this that the foundation of what I cover from this point on is so abundantly clear. If God wanted us to be that way, what I'm going to share with you in the Scriptures would not be an issue. Today, something is happening. The text, Lamentations, when the people of the world saw, when the kings of the earth saw what's taking place in Jerusalem, Jeremiah said they would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Can I give you a bulletin today? The enemy has found a way to enter the gates of Jerusalem. That's why this is just part one. Because I'm going to talk about how we eat, what we should not put in our bodies. I'm not just talking, I'm not just talking about cupcakes and Twinkies. But you got some of the most caffeine drinking Adventists People drinking alcohol. This body temple is serious to God. People are watching pornography, living immorally. Some people are even saying there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. And in some of the churches, you got elders that are, that are not changing the way they live, but they want to be involved in the, the function of the church. When we come to God as we are, He never leaves us the way He finds us. Amen, somebody. But something's happening. The enemy has found a way into the gates of Jerusalem. And like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, and this is where I believe the study of the Bible is so significant. When you study God's Word, as my wife and I have been, we've been reading through the book of Jeremiah, and in the process of reading, God has reinstalled some spiritual batteries. Jeremiah went through a whole lot of trouble for speaking the way he did. That's why my wife said, now, you don't want to get anybody upset. I said, honey, everybody that spoke in God's behalf got somebody upset. 
Even Jesus. So I don't preach for check marks and grades. You know, some people on YouTube say, I don't like that sermon. Well, you argue with God about that. I'm, I'm just trying to get my congregation to heaven. Amen? So I'm going to tell you what we need, how we need to turn, because if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, I'm going to have to stand before God and say, you know, I know it was in the Bible, but they might have got upset with me. I'm past that. I am not preaching for brownie points. Like Elder Brooks said, the same sun hardens clay but melts butter. It's the condition of the heart that receives the message that makes the difference. So you see today, my brothers and sisters, the most expensive temple ever built was not built by man, but it was built by God. And that temple is clearly defined in Scripture. Look at the words of Jesus. John chapter 2, verse 19 to 21. You see, the Jews in the days of Christ, they were so in love with, their with the temple of Jerusalem that it took them 40 years to build. And every time Jesus made reference to the temple, they got nervous. Here's another example. John 2, verse 19 to 21. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in how many days? Three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now, do me a favor. Go like this. Just go like this. That's God's house. That's not your house. I have had so many people say, don't tell me what to do. This is my body. You tell that to God when you see him. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 the reason why people are living the way they are, they think they made themselves. You, tell, you, you, you try to open the doors of your car and your car say, don't touch my doors. Those are my doors. What would you do? You try to put your dog out and the dog say, don't touch me. This is my house. What would you do? Nah, you out of here. We have failed to understand that the preparation for the coming of the Lord it's not just about our doctrinal beliefs, not just about the things that are around us, but God will hold us accountable for the way we were stewards or lack thereof of his body temple. That's why the Apostle Paul had to, had to call on the Corinthians to understand the very same thing. And I use the King James Version because I love the way he started the sentence. He starts by saying, what? In other words, they should have known. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And say it with me. And ye are not your own. Why? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? Which are God's. I remember a number of years ago, this happened at 3ABN. We experienced this. I think it was before the, uh, the Bergmans got here. But we got a, an email one day. Somebody sent an email here. Matter of fact, we heard this story. It was very interesting. Somebody's noticed that on TBN, 
Paul and Jan Crouch were still alive at the time. And we were part of that ministry only in the sense that as a heritage singer, we would go sing at TBN Studios down in Southern California, in Santa Ana. And uh, if you look at some of these other television ministries, the way that the host is dressed is very, very dolled out. You know, all the accoutrements, the bling. And someone watching, uh, not an Adventist, watching 3ABN sent a letter to TBN. And they said, why do your women not dress like the women do on 3ABN? We're not sending our money for you to waste our money on that. And they decided to support 3ABN instead. Come on, somebody say amen. 3ABN set a standard. And I began to notice, I began to look through some of the other channels, and I began to notice that on um, some of the other wives of these other evangelical leaders, that the bling was disappearing because God turned the light on and said, this is how a woman professing godliness, a man professing godliness should represent himself when, he, when he's working for the kingdom of God. But when was that standard established? That standard was established when God was establishing his Old Testament people. And we find that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these were the spiritual inheritors. These are the spiritual giants. Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob had the 12 tribes. So when God was establishing and giving instructions for true worship, he began with Abraham, called him out of Chaldea, a province of Babylon. He had a wife named Sarai. They followed God wherever he led them. Then they had Isaac. Then they had Jacob. And when God was about to establish that just before any one of the children of the 12 tribes were born, God said to Jacob, you got to get your house together. Genesis chapter 35. Look at what God said. You got to get your house together, Jacob. Genesis 35. Because God was about to establish a pattern for true worship throughout the earth. Long before there was an Israel, there was a Jacob. Genesis 35 verse 1 to 4. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, and to how many? All who were with him, these words. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then, verse 3 let us arise. Anytime God called you, he always called you to arise. Get up. You're going up. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. Going up. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. And what did they understand Jacob to be instructing them to do? Here it is. Genesis 35 and verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and all the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. King James Version says oak tree. New King James says terebinth tree. But don't miss that word hid. 
The word hid comes from the Hebrew word taman, which doesn't mean put it in the drawer or put it under the pillow. It means to discard to a point of oblivion, meaning completely get rid of it. And where did he get these trinkets from? Jacob's wife, Rachel. Her father, Laban, sold these idols. You know the story when she stole some of her father's idols and hid those idols as she sat on one of the horses during that time of the month and told her dad, I can't get up because it's that time of the month. But she, but she stole these idols, brought them into, into their home. So Jacob and Rachel had these idols because his wife brought them in. And the Lord said, you got to get those idols out of your house. you got to change the way you dress. And you, got, you have to get rid of the jewelry in your family. And they gave it all. Not only, not only Rachel, but all the household did the very same thing. Now let me ask you a question. If God was asking Jacob and his household to do that, do you think there's a different standard for us today? The same God. Because the purification of Jacob's household changed the way they presented themselves to God. He said, here's what God was saying. Don't come to Bethel looking like that because I won't bless you. Before you come to Bethel, which means the house of God, don't come to Bethel dressing like that and with your foreign gods. And that's a plethora. It could be anything. Today, it could be any kind of thing that you put value on, but he specified and earrings. He did not want them to follow the ways of the nations around them. And he specified, and God was making it very clear, discard the way you dress, the things you have in your household, and the way you worship. And then when you do that, you'll be pure and you can come to the house of Bethel. And God called them to do that. And the Apostle Paul, in recognizing that standard, he says to the New Testament Christian in Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Bodies, bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Reasonable service. I don't often refer to the NIV in this way, but the word, the phrase reasonable service, the NIV says, which is your spiritual act of worship. <laughs> there was a magazine a number of years ago that I got from somebody that lives in St. Louis. Matter of fact, they, they, they went to church on Sunday. And they had the magazine. It was an urban magazine for urban Christians living in St. Louis, more for the inner city people. And there was an article in there entitled, Oh, No, You Didn't Come to Church Dressed Like That. And they had a picture of a young lady who was very scantily clad. And at the door, the deacon was saying, quote, unquote, Oh, No, You Didn't Come to Church Dressed Like That. Rather than today, somebody has opened the door to the adversary and the enemy. And we need to begin to present ourselves before God as people that are getting ready for the kingdom. The church, and if this was only an Advent message, you could say, Pastor John, but you know what? The church of God in Christ, the Pentecostal church, the apostolic church. That's a standard across their board. They recognize 
how God calls the Christian to present himself and herself. And around the world, the challenges are different. In Australia, the challenges are different than in America. In New Guinea, the challenges are different. But the whole point is it's clear all the way across the board. God wants us to present ourselves differently before him than the world does. And then we are proving what is that good and acceptable will of God, holy, acceptable to God, when God called Israel out of Egypt, he separated themselves from the practices of everything that was Egyptian. He separated them from everything that was Egyptian, and he gave them specific instruction. And that's why one of the commandments that we think that we know very well, I've often heard people say, you know what? The fourth commandment is the most ignored commandment. Can I, can I recalibrate you today? The fourth commandment may, may be the most ignored, but the second and third are the most misunderstood. Because most people don't even talk about it. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Didn't God just say to Jacob, remove the foreign gods that are among you? Why did God say that? Because Israel was coming out of Egypt, and they saw. They had their Fifth Avenue. They had their Rodeo Drive. They had their Beverly Hills. People dressed anyhow. They saw the women with hardly nothing. They saw the men showing it off. They understood what worldliness looked like. So when God called Israel out of Egypt, he did two things. He said that you've been slaves for so long, I'm going to do something for you. And notice what God was about to do for the children of Israel as he was calling them out of Egypt. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. He knew that in order for the world to understand that this is a peculiar people, they cannot look in any way Worship in any way, eat in any way like they did when they were in the land of Egypt. But notice what the Lord did. And by the way, the context of this is here. For 400 years, how many years did I say? The children of Israel were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. 430 if you count when Joseph went in and became a governor there. And they were not paid. They were slaves. They didn't get wages. They worked hard. The taskmasters drove them. So God was about to pay them back for all the years that they worked for nothing. And look what God did for his people. Exodus 3, verse 22. He says, but every woman, that is every Hebrew woman, shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, what should you ask? Articles of gold and clothing, articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall do what? Plunder the Egyptians. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, Israel, I mean, Egypt was bankrupt. They were a bankrupted nation. So God said, get all the clothing, all that expensive stuff from your neighbor. Get all the jewels, all the silvers, of, all the articles of gold, articles of silver. Where are your kids? You carry this. You carry that. You carry this. And they walked out of there with all this jewelry and necklaces and earrings and nose rings and all this fine clothing. And when they left, God worked it out that the Egyptians couldn't stop them.
He was compensating them for all the years of no pay. And the second thing he was doing was giving them, giving them all the material they would need to build the tabernacle. Because when you read the building of the tabernacle, Exodus 32, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And everything that they needed to build the tabernacle, they got it from the Egyptians. But something happened. When Moses went up to the mountain to receive the commandments from God, something happened. Moses delayed to come down. He was there for 40 days. Now, he didn't delay, but they thought he delayed. But it was God's preordained time frame that he would be there for 40 days. Today, there are some people that think that God has delayed returning, that Jesus is in a delay. Oh, no, my brothers, it's not a delay. No man knows the day nor the hour. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In other words, there is a day and hour set for the coming of Jesus. But something is happening to us in our perceived delay that happened to Israel in their perceived delay. Notice what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, isn't that amazing? You can't even trust your brother. And said to him, come, make us what? Gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. While Moses was in the delay, tabernacling with God in the presence of the burning bush, Israel began to adorn themselves with the garments they brought out of Egypt that God intended would be the material for the building of the tabernacle. But they said, man, this, I like that jacket. She must have spent a whole lot of money on that necklace. Woo! How do you think these look? And the Bible said, they began to rebel. But Aaron didn't help. Look what he did. Verse 2 of Exodus chapter 32. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. You think men wearing earrings are new? Ha! It's old. And bring them to me. They reverted to the life of Egypt because that is what they came out of. Let me make a statement before I read the next two verses. God was able to bring Israel out of Egypt, but God could not take Egypt out of Israel. There are many people today that declare that they are no longer in the world, but the world is still in them. If you don't believe me, you open your eyes and look around. And what's strange to me is this kind of message I'm preaching, I get more flack from Adventists than non-Adventists. I get more flack from people that have been in the church for years than people that just got in here. I've shown people this in the Bible. They say, well, that's God's word. I'm going to take it off. I show it to some Adventists that have been around a long time. They say, well, now that's your interpretation. They start sounding like Sunday folk. Well, that's what you think. Well, Sunday is in the Scriptures. Somehow, in the delay, 
there's, a, there's something taking place in the minds of those who have become complacent thinking that I could choose the way I want to live because the Lord is not really coming back anytime soon. And they reverted to the ways of their lives. They reverted to the ways that they used to live. They go back and pull the things out. That's why, let me make a statement. I've been saying that all sermon. I've been making statements all sermon. Bear with me. When you get rid of stuff that you used to have, don't keep it in your house. Get rid of it. Find yourself a terebinth tree. Or a dumpster. Or if you want to redeem some of the money you wasted, take it to the nearest jewel and say, how much could you give me for this old stuff that I can't take to heaven? Aaron could not even be trusted in the absence of his brother. And what did they do? Look at verses 3 and 4 of Exodus chapter 32. So all the people broke off the earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God brought them out, not a golden calf, but they are so enamored by the way that they understood in Egypt they even told Moses later on, it's better that we die in the land of Egypt than to starve to death in the wilderness. God brought them on a journey of reform. The first thing he tested them on was the way they eat. Thank you, Jasmine, for helping our church. Some of us need to learn how to eat differently. Some of our fellowship lunches have entirely too much sugar. We ought to, change, we ought to start eating like folk that are getting ready for the coming of Jesus. That's not in the sermon, but that's going to be in the next one. Let me not even start my next sermon. Let me finish this one. The same thing is happening in the church today. We're not living like we're getting ready for the coming of the Lord, and we want smooth things. If, if the leader does it, and unfortunately, what I'm talking about, I was watching a pastor and his wife on YouTube laughing and joking. Oh, I, I even, I, it just troubles me to say he was an Adventist pastor because I don't want to blank of the whole church this week because it's not. But he particularly was joking and laughing and his wife had on these big, gigantic bird feather earrings and said, I'm going to wear my earrings because the Bible don't say nothing against it. And I thought to myself, what Bible are you reading? I had to, I had to cut it off. I couldn't watch it. God saw the people, and God diagnosed their condition and the degradation to which they sunk by going back to the ways of Egypt. Here's what he said to Moses. Exodus 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. I don't know if you caught the trend. I don't know if you caught the trend there. God said, "These ain't my people. The people you you brought out." See, earlier it says, "And the Lord brought them out with a mighty hand." When they start rebelling, God said, "No, your folk. They ain't mine. They have corrupted themselves." God did not identify with their condition. He said, "Moses, you deal with it." 
your people have corrupted themselves. And by the way, the Lord even gave them another instruction that I'm going to just insert in here because many people are going in this direction. Leviticus 19, verse 28. You shall not make any cutting in your flesh for the dead. It was a practice that was old among the Egyptians. They would cut themselves and they would pray as they cut themselves for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. We're living in the generation where the body has become nothing more than a canvas for artwork. And God is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's my body you're painting. That's my body you're cutting. That's my body you're poking holes in. And nothing troubles me more than when I see a little girl that can't even hardly speak and her mother already, already put earrings in her ears and she could hardly walk, training the child to become an idol-centered child, beginning to learn the ways of the world from young, training the children the way that they should go. God was so disappointed with Israel when he saw how they had sunk, he refused to even travel with them. Look at Exodus 33, verse 3 to 6. God said, I'm not even, I'm not even going up with you. He says, said to Moses, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up with, in your midst. I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a what? Stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and look at this, and no one, how many? No one put on his ornaments. Why? Verse 5 of Exodus 33, For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, if God told them, what makes us any different? Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel, what do they do, my brothers and sisters? Strip themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. God said, take it off. They took it off because God was about to end their journey right then and there. And that's why the book of Exodus, that's why the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, all these, thi all these things happened as an example unto us. All that Israel did was written down and recorded as an example to us upon whom the ends of the world have come. Brethren, we've got to get ready for the coming of the Lord. Do you think it's a long way away? I don't. I see the condition of the world today. I see the political condition. I see the evangelical condition. I see the condition of society. And then I begin to recognize that it's not just the world around us, but it's what's happening within our borders. How did the adversary and the enemy get into the gates of Jerusalem? Today you try to tell folk how to live right. They don't want to hear it. And even have songs, this is my body. All the secular artists, let me tell you something. Part two, y'all better bring gas masks. Because the music we listen to today, the hip-hop that's destroying the minds of our young folk, Instagram, hip, uh, I can say hip-hop, TikTok, all these are becoming devices of the enemy. People are beginning to worship themselves that should be worshiping God. The church is going down a pipe 
that does not have reverse in it. And if we don't recover ourselves before it is ever too late, we will be in an irreversible place where we can't even save ourselves. But praise God, there are those who when Moses gave them a direct command of God, they went home and started thinking about it. And the Bible says that at that juncture, God was able to impress those who had the right attitude. Exodus chapter 35, 35 verses 21 and 22. Exodus 35 verses 21 and 22. How did God get through that smog? The Bible says, Then everyone came whose hearts was what? Stirred. And everyone whose spirit was what? Willing. That's what God looking for. Let the Spirit of God stir your heart and pray for God to work with a heart that's willing. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land, Isaiah 1, verse 18 to 20. If we are willing and obedient. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its services, and for the holy garments. They came, both what? Men and women. As many as had a what? Willing heart. And what did they bring? And they brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And when you read the other verses, there were those that brought the silver. There was those that brought the bronze. There was those that brought the wood. Moses broke it down to the categories. Anybody got gold you want to give to God? They came. But what kind of heart do they have? A willing heart. Today, there needs to be willing hearts among the people of God today to bring all that wasting money on things that are nothing more than uh, these accoutrements to adorn a temple that belongs to God and that God didn't give any authorization to do that. Can you imagine? Let's look at creation. God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And when God finished that, the Bible says, indeed God saw everything he had done and indeed he said it was what? Very good. But uh, Eve, you know, when you get a chance, you need to buy some earrings because there's certain things I left out. You need to get a tongue ring. You need to get a nose ring. What you didn't understand, and I'll insert this right here because I'm winding up. Got just three more scriptures. The Egyptians believed in the afterlife. So why do they wear these ornaments? They worship the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, birds, reptiles, animals, and whatever God they worshipped, they fashioned these trinkets to represent the God they worshipped. They believed that when their dead ones were deceased, that their souls or their spirits were still roaming the earth. And to protect themselves against the invasion of spirits into their bodies, they blocked all the openings with their gods. So they put one of their gods by the ear. Why? To block that opening. They put a God here, nose ring, to block that opening. 
God here, tongue ring, or through the lip to block that opening. They put a belly button to block that opening, and I'll stop right there. Ain't nothing new. I'm not even going to make light of it. Because the Lord said, I am repulsed by what the Egyptians have led my people to do to their bodies. And we're seeing it in the world today, all around us. And we don't have the gumption or the testicular fortitude to say, I am not allowing myself to go down that road. I want to live for the glory of God. we got to live like we're getting ready for the kingdom. That's why the Lord made it very clear. The world's display of rebellion is external. The display of obedience needs to begin from the inside. That's why the Bible says, let your light so shine. You know what? Nothing is more beautiful than seeing a woman who doesn't need all of that. I remember once I was shaking the hand of a person at a front, at a door. Wanted, I forgot what church I was, and I shook their hands and almost lacerated my finger. And sometimes when, when these people, the only time you can see them looking natural is when they go to the beach because they take all that stuff off so it doesn't rust when they go swimming. And you see them later on for dinner, like, you got to spend all that time looking at all that other stuff. Oh, there you are. Not even making light of it. And God is saying, where did I fall short that man has to try to improve on what I've already pronounced very good? That's why Peter writes what he does to the Christian today. 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, but let it be the what man? Hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, gold corrupts. Even, look at what he uses, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of what? Great price. Peter's saying, you want to spend your money? Spend it on a meek and quiet attitude. You want to have value in the sight of God? That's the kind of Christian you should be, a meek and quiet, humble servant. Don't waste it on ornaments because what value, what's valuable in the sight of God, what is of great price is your character, not your accoutrements. How you wear and what you wear is of least impact on the positive nature of your character before God. As a matter of fact, it's a hindrance. And Paul the Apostle joined Peter when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. Look at what he wrote. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them I will be their God, and they shall be what? My people. And finally, and by the way, I haven't even touched the surface. There's a part two. Revelation gives us a picture of the church in two conditions. One under the direction and the influence of God. The other under the direction and the influence of the world. And my brothers and sisters, today, as you begin to walk around, 
I am praying, my prayer for the church is this, that we stop looking at the world for its guidance and start looking to God's word for its guidance. Because look at how the Lord sees his woman in a condition of faithfulness. Notice the natural beauty emphasized all through this passage. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, that's the church, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars, that is a diadem of 12 stars, which is a foreshadowing of the 12 tribes, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, the number of the kingdom. God clothes his woman with his creation, naturally reflecting the glory of God. But look at the contrast. Revelation 17 and verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. She stole those colors from the sanctuary and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, meaning all of these were indications of her rebellion against God. Now let me ask you the question, which woman do you want to look like? And I know today that some people are going to write me like they do on Facebook. I don't mind. Send the emails. I want to be in good company. But my sadness is this. There are those that will hear this message and say, that's how it used to be. That's not how it is now. But I'm praying that there are those that would hear this message and say, you know what? I need to look differently. I need to take off the world and put on Jesus. I need to get rid of all these things. And let me make a very important point because this is another deception. Some of us think that it's the size that's the problem. Well, if I wear tiny ones, it's okay with God. But if I wear big ones, no, he ain't okay with that. You show me a scripture that says that. God didn't say, a little bit of alcohol is good, but don't, don't drink a whole lot. Just marijuana every now and then, but not a whole lot. A little bit of drugs, but not a whole lot. There is no quantity of sin that is acceptable to God and another quantity that's not acceptable. God didn't say to the Israelites, take off your big earrings. He said, take off your earrings. And, but it happened slowly, as Joe Cruz many years ago, he called the creeping compromises. They started with the little earrings here and there and the little earrings. Now they're around other people that wear little earrings and other people wear little earrings. And all of a sudden, all these Adventists around each, each other that wear little earrings, so they go out and they, they put the bigger ones in for the nightlife. And before you know it, you can't even tell who's on the way to the kingdom who, or who's on the way back to Egypt. And God is wanting the world to know that we are on our way to the kingdom. What do you say? But I end with this last very solemn scripture because this is not new this was told to the Israelites of old, and they didn't listen. And one of those among the 12 tribes who God just could not penetrate his heart are these words. Hosea 4 and verse 17. Ephraim is joined to his idols. Let him alone. Don't even try to even wake him up. He wouldn't listen to anything I said so far. Ephraim is joined to his idols. Let them alone. My brothers and sisters, any idol in your life 
the ornaments of the world, the jewels, the earrings, the nose rings, the necklaces, all that, all that that we do into our body, God is calling us to prepare our bodies as a living sacrifice. Can you say amen? Let me ask you today, how many of you want to be that reflection of the kingdom to come? Could you stand with me today? And I'm praying that you receive this message out of a pure heart. God's church should be different. Our leaders need to be different. We need not be worried about what the world wants us to do. We need to live in harmony with what God's word says that we must do. There's only one foundation. So the prayer I want to pray today, I'd like, I'd like to invite some of the praise team members to come and join us. Maybe, uh, yes, Iris and Abby. Addy, if you could come and join us. This is a very song, short chorus, but I want you to notice what it says. And this is my prayer. Only as God's Spirit falls upon you can you have that willing heart. That heart that is moved in redemption and preparation for eternity. So as we sing this song, may this be a, a declaration. Lord, I don't want to make decisions based on what I feel and what I think and what the world does and what I like and what I don't like. I'm asking for the Spirit of the living God to fall afresh on me. For the Spirit of the living God to fall afresh on me. Go to the next, let me show you the next lyrics, Timothy. Asking this, break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Can you say that with me? What do we want God to do? What? Break me, melt me, mold me, and fill me. Now let's sing this song today as a prayer to God. Lord, I want you to change my life. Give me the gumption to be a parent that guides my children in the way of the world. I mean, in the way of the Lord, not in the way of the world. Give me wisdom to guide them in the way of the Lord, not in the way of the world. But let me also be an example. Let me live the same way on the weekends as I do during the weekdays. Let me not be one way Monday or Sunday to Friday and another way on Sabbath morning. They will see what we do and be what we are. And they won't listen if we're living a life of conflict. Let's sing this song together. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. sing this second half. Let me just pause for a moment. If this is your de desire, I want to do something a little differently today. I want to call for a prayer of consecration. If you want to be a part of that prayer of consecration, would you join me down front? If you want to be a prayer, not just sing this song and slide out of here, but this prayer of consecration. God loves us, but the world has done a job on us. And I'm praying for God to change our minds to break us, to melt us, to mold us, to fill us, to be a consecrated people and not even to feel ashamed that we're getting ready for the kingdom. If the world wants to look that way, let them do it. If Ephraim wants to stay with his idols, let them do it. But say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's sing this together. Break me. And what else? Melt me. Mold me and fill me, Spirit of 
Jenny continues to play, Father, today, the church, the leadership, the pastor, the membership, Lord, we all need your spirit to fall on us. The world has done a job on us. We have been manipulated, oh, not just by politics, but by the way the world dresses, the way it lives, the lifestyle it has adopted, the immorality, the darkness. The world has found a way into the gates of Jerusalem. And even the kings of the earth and the nations of the world are saying, what's happening? I thought that they were the people of the book. Father, today, recover us. Today, forgive us. Today, break us, mold us, melt us, and fill us. May we go home and examine our homes. What is there in our houses that has left the door open for the enemy to come in? What do we have in our drawers? What are, what's in our video collection? What's in our music that the enemy feels comfortable to be in our homes? feel comfortable to be in our businesses, feel comfortable to be in our bedrooms and in the, our entertainment. What is there about us that the enemy is comfortable with? And we pray again, break us, melt us, mold us, fill us. So that when that day comes, for us who may not be alive when Jesus comes, we want to go to sleep in peace so that we can be raised in peace. We want, we want to be an example to the world, not to boast, but to let our light shine. We want people to see what it means to be divorced from the world and married to Christ. I call for our leaders to raise up the foundations of many generations, restore the paths to dwell in, close up the breaches, preach a message of reform and revitalization and revival so that God's people can understand the solemnness of this hour and the holiness of our God. Lord, give us strength to do what we must, but may we trust you to do all that we cannot do to get us ready for your kingdom. This we ask and this we pray in the worthy and holy name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. And what else? Amen.